Welcome to Ennisbrook Church. We hope this message from our sex and location pastor, Jared Lieberzeit, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at ennisbrook.co.nz for a service near you. And uh, it's just a great day to be in church. Anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Jared, and it's a privilege to uh, to share as we come around the Word of God this morning. And um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna chat. Uh, the song that we just sung, "Worthy of All Praise," is, is so so incredible. And I just love that what we're singing in church is is really we're just singing Scripture, and uh, that's the that's the focus that we're singing these songs to God that are just scriptural and and theologically they are just sound and make sense and they're easy. And I want to share today about the thought that God is worthy of our praise. He's also worthy of our life. Okay. He's worthy of our life. And, um, and I think that this is a this is a big thought, and the topic actually, or title for this morning's topic. If you want to write a title down in your notes, because that's a good thing to do. They say you remember 100% of the things that you write down, or at least your phone does. Um, you can write down this this title: "Set Free and Surrendered." Set free and surrendered. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment in time where we get together as your people. We're passionate about you. God, we're passionate about who you are, your character and following you. Thank you for your hand on our lives and your voice speaking into our hearts today. And we pray for your blessing over the All Blacks camp. And also for warriors too. Up the wires. We need to say amen, not up the wires. <laughs> That's just crazy. Oh, man. Last week, Graham brought an amazing word uh, to us about the grace of God. And he shared how we have been changed by grace. We are to be changed by grace. And if you weren't here, you should go and check it out on our YouTube. Uh, Anna's Church is the name of our YouTube channel. It's very creative. Um, the sin, the, he, he shared and taught us that the sin is no longer our master, but we have come under a new covenant. No longer old covenant or an old way of doing things, but we have a new agreement of grace through Jesus Christ. And I want to continue on the theme today. He shared from Romans 5, and today I want to share from Romans 6 as our key scripture this morning. Romans 6 verse 11 is in fact what we're going to read from, and it says this. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's the new covenant grace right there. As you have been already brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You are under grace. We are alive in God through Jesus Christ and we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. That is the message of grace. That is last week's sermon in three minutes. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty fast, pretty effective. But this doesn't mean, as Graham taught us, that we can just go around sinning 
and just, just kind of doing whatever we want because, hey, it's all good because God loves us unconditionally. And so, yay, let's just do that. No, this also doesn't mean being dead to sin also doesn't mean that we'll never be tempted again in life. don't know if you've experienced that, but temptation is still a very uh, real thing. And so Paul writes this incredible piece of Scripture to point out to us that we need to make a choice, that we must make a choice. We're either going to offer ourselves to the things of the world or we're going to offer ourselves to God. Just as He has offered grace to us, we are to offer ourselves back to Him as a response to the grace that has been poured out for each and every one of us. Paul puts it like this when he says that we're to offer every part of ourselves to him. He says, offer every part of yourself to God. And I, uh, I want to share this today because I think that the issue and the issue I want to address is that for some of us as followers of Jesus um, and for some followers of Jesus, we, uh, we find it easy to offer up some parts of ourselves to God, but feel like every part is just a little bit too much to ask for. I feel like every part is a little bit too much to, to require because there are some things that we love in life so much that we struggle to let go of them. And I want to ask this question at this point in the, in the message. Uh, do you love life itself more than you love God himself? Do you love life itself more than you love God itself, himself? Do you love God more than you love life? Or is, is, is your heart so overwhelmed and in awe of God, our God who created everything, the creator of all things, who breathes life and breath into our lungs, who has saved us and called us that you cannot help but give yourself fully to him. Giving yourself fully to him. Offer every part. Paul writes. And uh, I think that marriage is an incredible illustration for this topic and, and this idea. The, the image of marriage, Alicia and I, uh, we were married uh, coming up on 12 years ago. Congratulations. And um, <clears throat> I was 19 and she was 20, okay? And so uh, we were quite, quite young and uh, uh, I guess that's kind of a good thing, could be a bad thing, I don't know. I have no regrets, but hey, whatever works, let's, let's roll with it. Um, <laughs> I remember when we were first married, and like anyone who, who has been married or is married, you experience uh, the need for many adjustments in life, right? Many adjustments, like having to, uh, having to figure out. And in fact, I remember it was a big issue in our premarital counseling with um, uh, Jenny and Cliff Warm, uh, it was a great time. And, and they asked us the questions like, hey, uh, who's going to do the dishes? Or how are you going to structure that? How are you going to roster that? Adjusting to who's going to do the dishes. That's just like, seems crazy. But when you're in the moment, who knows? Yeah, you've got to figure that out. <laughs> what side of the bed are you going to sleep on? All that type of thing. Even the fact that you now have to share a bed with someone. And that's kind of weird. Um, then there's, there's so many other things. There's one thing that you have to learn to, to get adjusted to, and that's the fact that you're now sharing time, right? So I remember this, and this is just a small part of it, but I remember we were having to figure out how to make our plans work together because all of a sudden, it wasn't just my day off, but it was our day off, right? 
So it's, it's our day off. We're figuring out our day off. What are we going to do? This is our week. What, what's our week going to look like together? How is this really going to work? And I remember we, for the first season of our marriage, had to say no to a few social gatherings because we had to prioritise ourselves. We were both extroverted people. We are both extroverted people, so it was kind of weird. And people started to ask questions like, where's Jared? Why isn't Jared hanging out with us? Why is he not hanging out with the boys anymore? You know, it's always the boys. It's like, what's going on? And, and at least you told me I couldn't have friends. So that's what it was. <laughs> that's what I know. <laughs> that's not what it was. That's not what it was. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. But our plans, my plan, her plan had to come together, right? That's just how, how it kind of worked. And, and, and it's true that in marriage, two become one. And there's this requirement for unity, a requirement for a unity, a requirement, I would say, of surrendering and surrendering of ourselves so that we could serve each other and figure out how we would do life together. And so we had to surrender our own preferences and our own wants and desires just for, for each other. And I think that's what makes marriage work, is that's how you treat it, that's how it rolls. And I really believe that in the same way. We are required, called to surrender ourselves into relationship with Jesus Christ. It is as if it is a marriage. It is a commitment. It is a covenant, a covenant of love and grace. It is something that we decide to become a part of. We are bound to it and we have to figure out how to give ourselves to it. We are called to surrender to Him not so that we can gain His love or a covering of grace. He has already done the work. I want to make sure that is so, so clear this morning. Surrender is not required so that God is pleased with you. No, surrender happens because you know God is already pleased with you. Because the wedding bells have already rung. Because you've already made the commitment. We are called to surrender to Him as a response to the fact that Jesus has already gone all in. He has given all of Himself to us. His surrender was obedience to death. Even the Scriptures say, death on that cross. So I want to suggest today, you and I, we are saved by grace. We are set free from sin. And now our responsibility is to surrender to relationship with Jesus. Our earthly view of surrender is this action of giving up. Surrender, as we know it, is a battle term, of course. And it's this idea that you're going to give up or you're going to lose. You're going to lose something. But in the kingdom of heaven, I think it's very different to that. This big idea that I want to share this morning is that my life and this life is not my own life. This is not my own life, but I have given it to God, that I am in His hands and that I am following Him. And you might say, oh, Jared, but this is my life. This life is mine. And I'm going to do what I want with it. This is my life. Isn't there a song? There's probably many songs about that. It's my life. It's now or never. I'm going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. Is that a song? Who is that? Bon Jovi. That's not even true. It's my life and it's now or never. What is it? I'm, I'm not. I am. I ain't going to live forever. Yeah. Someone like, that, someone like that would have to make the most of it if you have the idea that you aren't going to live forever. But we understand that in relationship with Jesus that we actually do have the option of forever. Yeah. 
that eternity is what we are called to, right? And so, so there isn't this need to have to try and make the most of our time on earth. So I don't have to treat it like it's just my life. I don't have to try and just, just make the most of my life because I actually have eternity in heaven with Jesus and so I can just live like it's his life. Yeah. Amen? Take that, John. Um, bon Jovi. <laughs> so random. Back to the Bible. Um, what I want is not as important as what God wants. And if you come in with this attitude of, I just want what I want and no one's going to tell me otherwise because I'm not the king of my life, I want to tell you we have to learn to surrender that attitude, to give over that attitude because the Bible says that for those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, who follow Him and worship Him, the fact that He would lay down His life for us requires that we would actually lay down our attitude of this is my life. Galatians 2 verse 20 in the message translation says, the life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we must learn what it is to die to my life. This is not my life. This is God's life. Spiritual surrender. What is it? It's the act of faith and it keeps hope alive. Keeps hope alive because we choose defeat over death. We choose to give all of the authority and the victory to God, but it takes us from death to life. As the Scripture says, offer yourselves as though you have already been brought from death to life. Is everyone following this? Is this okay? So what happens uh, when we surrender? What happens when we surrender? I want to just point out two things, and then I want to share an incredible story and then we'll finish. First thing is this, God gets access. What happens when we surrender is God gets access. It's not God wanting to take things away from you. That's not what surrender is. It's how we see it in an earthly sense. Surrender means that God will take some things, but it doesn't necessarily mean He's going to take it away from you, Right? It doesn't mean He's going to take it away from you. It's just us allowing Him to have access to all parts of our lives. To be able to say, actually, God, this is yours. Actually, God, I trust you so much that I am going to commit to your will. So our life surrendered gives God access. Our heart surrendered gives God access. And it means that the life that we live is now no longer just yours. And now no longer just yours to carry by yourself. Can I point that out? In fact, this is not, no longer is it just yours to possess, but now God carries it with you. Matthew 28, Jesus talks about the sharing of the load. He says that His yoke is easy and that His burden is light. This is concept, this idea, and Jesus is speaking in farming terms because that's what would have been going on in the majority of people's lives at that stage where this yoke would be used as a tool for farming to create uh, fruit and produce something in people's lives, in, in farming life, where two animals would be actually yoked together. And it was this tool that would basically be fastened around the necks of two animals to keep them in unity, to keep them in step, to make sure that they wouldn't just be working by themselves in their own strength, but that actually they could work together to get more work done. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah, He has a yoke. It isn't a heavy yoke. 
It isn't condemning. It doesn't pull down. It will never tear you apart, but actually it's to make life lighter and to make a burden easier, to make a burden easier. We become God's possession. We become placed in His care. We are covered by His protection and in His provision. Surrender is not giving up. Surrender is just giving God access. So we give God access to our life. We give God access to our kids. We give God access to our career. We give God access to our wounds. The pain that maybe you feel you need to hold on to because it's kind of now a part of your identity, we actually need to give God access to it. Even that for some people was a hard thing to do because it's like, well, that's what I went through and that's my story. But we need to surrender that to God to say, you know what, God? I actually can't do this by myself. No, I I need someone to come alongside me and who better than God to partner with, to share the load, to help us on the way, to give us a new yoke. Surrender as a battle term implies you are giving all rights up to a conqueror. When an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms and the winners take control from then on. It's just been able to say, God, I give you control. Surrender is not a sign of weakness though. No, surrender in the kingdom of heaven is one of the strongest moves and the strongest plays that you can make because what power is greater than the power of God in your life? There is no power. There is no authority that matches up with the authority of Jesus Christ for our life. So let's partner with it. Let's surrender to it. Second thing, this flows on from that because there's this power that comes into our life. And I believe that when we surrender to Him, that we are creating more space in our life for the Holy Spirit to be able to fill our life. We are able to actually give more room. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The more areas of life that we surrender to Him, the more room we are making for a filling of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, yes, we have the Spirit already in us. We have access already to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time fill the tank kind of thing and you're good to go. Like, a, hey, oh, yep, sweet, I had my moments and now I'm, and now I'm off and, and that's it. But the Holy Spirit's work in our life is meant to be a constant flow. The David, King David, wrote that he would overflow. This cup overflows. My cup overflows, he says. So we have this understanding that actually the Spirit of God and the way that it works in our life is that it should be so much that it gets to the point where it overflows. So yes, you have the Spirit, but guess what? You can have more. Oh, you can have more. When we come into church and you hear people pray the prayer like, oh, come Holy Spirit, meet us here. He's here. He's already here. He's, if he's already here if you've accepted Jesus into your life, but there's no problem with praying the prayer, God, I just want more of you. Oh, I just want more of you. I want more of you. And so when we surrender, our cup overflows. People start to take notice. Something's different. Something's changed. Because you continue to surrender your life to God. You start to produce a fruit inside your life that starts to actually reflect who God is. The Spirit of God fills us. And the fruit of the Spirit starts to go to work in our lives. This is Galatians 5 verse 22. It says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. I love this list. And um, I think about this list like it's, uh, 
It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, but it's almost as if someone took a pen and just wrote down nine characteristics of Jesus Christ. Like that, that, Jesus, that, that Jesus is love, that Jesus is joy, that Jesus is peace, He's patience, He's kindness, He's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and His self-control. And there's many other ways that we could describe Him. But I just love this thought today that as we surrender our life to Him, we are filled more with the Holy Spirit. We start to actually carry these things out in our life. And in return, we start to actually look a little bit more like Jesus. This whole idea, if you were put it, to put it in the category of is it we're being with Jesus, we're doing what Jesus did, or we're being like Jesus, this whole idea is that we would become more like Jesus. That is the result of our surrender, that we start to fulfill the goal of being like Jesus. That's it. That's what we start to look like. That's how we start to, to live. The reason that we struggle to surrender is because it requires a massive amount of trust. Massive amount of trust. Surrender comes from absolute trust. You will never be able to offer over every part of yourself to God if you don't first trust Him. Lack of trust in God will result in you and I holding on to control of our lives and continuing to say, this is my life. This is my life. And God, I don't know if I can give it to you because I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I trust you. And uh, it brings us to an incredible story. And this is a story I really felt in my heart to share this morning. It's, um, it's a story that happens 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus about a guy called Abraham. And uh, Abraham, is, he's, a, he's kind of a nobody that God would give this promise to that he would become this father of, of many nations and father of millions, just incredible, incredible person and, and would be for, for, for many, many people and generations. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, though, this is kind of interesting because they, they're getting on in age. They're getting a little bit older and uh, they're not actually able to have children of their own at this point. God brings this promise that he's going to be this father figure for so many people. And so he would also have his own child that he would be given this gift of the son, a son. And God's faithful to his word. He always comes through on his promises. So Abraham and Sarah, when Abraham's around 100 years old, I think, he, uh, they give birth to a son, Isaac. Isaac's his name. And Isaac is everything to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac is just, he is just everything to them. And uh, they get to, we get to the story in Genesis 22. And, and, and in the Bible, it says that, that Abraham is tested by God. Okay, There's this testing that goes on. God says to, to Abraham, says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, not Moriah, Kerry. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. It's quite a long story with a lot of detail, but this, this, basically the idea is that the next morning, Abraham, Isaac, and a couple of his servants and everything they need, they get it all together and they start this journey. They journey and they travel. They travel for three days. And, and on the third day, God finally says to Abraham, there's the mountain you have to go to, head to that mountain. Abraham says to his servants, you guys stay here. Me and the boy, we're gonna go and we're gonna worship. And he says at that point, but wait for us for when we come back. He says, wait for us for when we come back. So they go 
and they start to prepare. They're walking and they've got the stuff that they need. And Isaac's like, hey, dad, I noticed that we have the wood and I noticed that we have all the preparations and we have the knife, but it doesn't seem like we have an animal here for us to sacrifice on this altar. He's like, what's the plan? And Abraham's response is that, God will provide for himself the sacrifice. And I just want to know how this went down when they continue to walk and there's still no sign of this animal that's going to be used as a, as a sacrifice in this moment. I want to know what was really going on. What was the conversation like? Probably a, probably a little bit uh, awkward in ways. So they continue. Abraham gets to this point in time where he finally has to share in the moment He's got to tell his son. He says, I don't know how to tell you this, son, but um, you are the sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. And I imagine that Abraham saddened and confused. And the scripture actually does make it clear that they were confused by what was going on. And I want to point out today that just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that you're always going to understand. And there will be some things that come along in the journey that are a little bit confusing. And a little bit out there and a little bit like, God, what is going on here? Because we're not called to lean on what? Our own understanding, but to trust in God with everything that we have and in everything that we do. So we have this image of a father and a son and this father who is maybe saddened and, and a little bit heartbroken. He binds Isaac with ropes and he puts him on the altar and he's like, son, I know this is crazy, but I just believe God's gonna do a miracle. He's already declared it to his servants. He said, we will come back. He's already said, we will come back. Isaac gets on the altar. Abraham holds up the knife or prepares himself. And the story goes that immediately God appears, stops him, stops him in what he's about to do. In this moment of time, he points out there's this ram caught in a thicket. In a way, Abraham has just passed this test because he's shown absolute obedience and trust and faith in who God is. They look at this as ram caught in the thicket, which of course is this picture of Jesus and the crown of thorns that would be on his head. And this ram steps in as a sacrifice or a substitute for the sacrifice. And the Bible says that they sacrifice this animal instead of Isaac. Instead of Isaac, the ram is sacrificed. Instead of Isaac, instead of him, and all it took was just a little bit of trusting in God. Hebrews eleven seventeen puts it like this. This is a recap on the story of Abraham and Isaac. But by faith, Abraham, when, he, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Abraham reasoned, this goes on, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It is if there has been a resurrection and a son which was dead, which was taken, which was given as a surrender and sacrifice to God has been given back to Abraham. God didn't want Isaac dead. He just wanted Abraham's full surrender and his full trust. He wanted to know if Abraham really trusted him. This life is about God not about what I want, when I want it. This is about us being able to get on that altar, about us being able to say, I trust God is gonna give me life. And that is the whole message of Jesus. That is the entire message of Jesus, that we would be called to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It doesn't make sense to be a living sacrifice. A sacrifice has to be dead. 
but in the work of Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, because the sacrifice has already been paid, there is no need for death in our life. Just that we would die to ourselves and become fully alive in Jesus. So if you're in a season right now where it feels like there's a knife that's been lifted over your world and your life, and you're asking yourself, where is God? What's going on? Why won't He deliver? I'm telling you right now, God is always on time. And it's a little bit cheeky because really God's just always on His time. It's His time and it's His timing and it's perfect timing that there's this ram caught in the thicket. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac wasn't supposed to die. Jesus was to die. Jesus was to die so that you and I could live. But in response to what Jesus has done, we are to surrender and get on the altar and say, God, this is not my life anymore. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ in me. Galatians 2 verse 20. This life you see, this is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This command that God gives to Abraham, this father of faith and such an incredible person, it's a one-time command, never given before and hasn't been given since. It was the command that was designed to illustrate what God Himself would do for you and I when He would send His Son to the cross. So this command, even though it seems cruel and it seems a little bit harsh, maybe people read it and ask the question, how can a God that loves do this, it actually displays God's love. It demonstrates His love in rather an unforgettable way, which any parent in the room can identify with. As Paul writes, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also freely give up all things? God's strange commands to Abraham, which seems out there and out of the box, reveals his own great love for us in sending His one and only Son, His only Son, to die for our sins. God not asking Abraham to do anything that he wasn't himself prepared to do. And we read this incredible command in this way that, that, that God shows the sympathy towards Abraham's feelings, where He says, take your son, take your only son, whom you love, the son you love. Like Abraham, I know you love him. Oh, I know He's precious to you. Oh, I know you, you care about Him so much, but I wanna know how much you love me. He wants, to know, he wants to know how much Abraham really loves Him. And I think God takes us through this process of surrendering to Him everything that is precious to us until we are left leaning on God and leaning on Him alone. The test is this for Abraham and for you and me today. Do you love life itself more than you love God? Do you love the things of life more than you love God? Or do you love God and trust Him enough to say, I offer myself to you? Do you love Him and trust Him enough to say, I'm gonna give you everything today. I'm going to surrender my all, my entire heart to you today. I wonder what you need today to lay down on the altar. What is your Isaac? What is your, what is your thing? What needs to be surrendered? What do you need to give God access to this morning in your life? I think there's maybe some people in the room and you've been holding back from God. Just in this moment, we get ready to pray. And 
maybe you've been, um, you've been holding back and resisting going all in, going all in. You just have to remember today, God doesn't require that you do this so that you gain His love and acceptance and His grace. No, you have His grace. You are set free. It's our response now to surrender to Him, to give to Him. There's no sense of a dead sacrifice. It's, it's living. It means life. It means life. So what are you holding back for? Because in Jesus, all you will find is life. In Him, all you will find is freedom. In Him, all you will find is grace and more grace and more grace. And even in the days where you don't feel like you measure up and maybe where you feel like there's sin, the Bible says it, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That His love is still enough. That His sacrifice is still enough. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, in this moment, what do you need to give God access to today? What do you need to hand over to Him? Maybe it is a marriage. Maybe it's a frustration in, in, career, in your career. Maybe it is, it is your kids. You're scared about what will happen, that feeling of them leaving or, or going. Or Maybe there's someone here and your child is feeling called to ministry maybe called to build the church and you're not sure and that kind of scares you and you're worried. I feel like God would say to you today, it's, it's going to be okay because there's a kingdom wealth that comes through building the house of God and God always promises if you build His house that He will build yours, that He is always going to build your house and so surrender that kid. Surrender that child, surrender that marriage, that husband, that wife, surrender that job, surrender that passion, surrender the gift that is on your life, surrender the praise that God is so worthy of, surrender your life to Him and see what work He might do in your world. Right now, We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website.